it doesn't matter where you have been. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter what other people have told you. You can always change your life. It's never too late to start again. I'm almost 60 right now, and I have found love again. I have gone back into the dating scene after a long, long, long dry spell. (laughs) So it's never, yeah, it's never too late to start anything new. And it's never too late to open new doors for your life. Welcome to the Onward Podcast. This is Emily Harmon, your host. Today, I'm interviewing Rosemary Mapambwa. And boy, do I love hosting this podcast because I get to meet people from all over the world. Rosemary lives in Canada now, but she's from Zimbabwe and she's a relationship coach. When I think back on my relationships, I think there's many times I could have used uh, Rosemary's help. Rosemary is that courageous woman who got tired of crying herself to sleep after losing her husband in 2000. She saw that crying about her situation as a single parent and a widow was a self-destructive behavior, and she wanted revenge, but she never got the platform to get an apology from the people that caused her grief. So she decided to write a book, which became her healing manual. It's called Exhume or Heal, a widow's memoir to getting her groove back. Now Rosemary's on a mission to help women heal from their grief and trauma, from their past broken relationships. And she helps them get back into the dating scene after a long dry spell with a bang, to date smart and to be love magnets and to find the love they have always wanted. Let's get to the interview. Rosemary, welcome to the Onward podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be, well, I don't know, it's going to be a little bit of a tough interview based on what we're discussing. You wrote a book, Exhume or Heal, a widow's memoir, getting her groove back, which is pretty cool. I want to hear how you got your groove back. I know you went through a difficult time. Yeah, I I see your book and I looked it up on um, Amazon. I saw you have a workbook too. Yeah. Yeah. So So that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. it's um, with exercises that people can go through to help them yes. as they, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I read too, you had some good reviews on there for your book. And I read that it's not just for widows, it's for anybody who's had a loss and is grieving like a breakup with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or mm-hmm. a divorce or something like that, right? Yes, yes, it is, yeah. yeah. Well, can you uh, tell us your, you know, start off with telling us your story. Like I said, this will just be a conversation and I'll probably ask you questions along the way, but I know, uh, I know I'm interested in hearing your story and so are the Onward podcast listeners. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Emily, for having me on your platform. I was married for almost 12 years before my husband was taken away from me. And you know, the day when I married him, I said, I do. And I thought it was going to be for life, you know? I never thought um, that statement would come haunting me 12 years later. And the thing that really baffled me is um, how young both of us were. My youngest child was only five years old. My oldest was 12. My son was nine. And to be widowed at that age, I was in my 
late 30s. And being left with young children like that, my husband also had um, a business, an engineering business. Both of us were, were college lecturers at the same college, but he also had uh, a side hustle, an engineering business. So we came from three incomes to one income. And wow. it was tough. Yeah, it was tough. And you know, those days, the benefits would take almost a year before they were released. His benefits were only released 18 months, 18 months after he died. So wow. I, so you, because you were living in Zimbabwe, right? Yeah. Yes. And that happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know even with, uh, when I told you before we started the interview that my former husband died, my children's father died. Yeah. And that was in 2019, December. And there's still some money I'm working on getting. Mm-hmm. So it, it just, you know, all the phone calls that you have to make and the time yes. it takes. And then for me, I still get mail addressed to him and it's like a slap in the face every time because it's like, don't you, he's not here anymore. I know. It's yeah. That's the toughest part. Like for me right now, you know, I'm still using his last name, Mopambra, because after he died, I had to leave the country and it was just too expensive and too much of a hassle for me to change back to my maiden name. So imagine I'm still called Mrs. Mpambra, but the so, Mr. has been gone for 20 years. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. I mean, I guess it gets a little easier with time. I don't know what you think, but I mean, there's still, you don't cry every second or whatever, yeah. but yeah. And it was only my, he was my former husband, but still there was a close bond there. So I know it's very hard. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because the thing is, you know, when you lose a spouse, it doesn't matter whether you were divorced or you were still married. The fact that you shared a life together, and especially when there's children involved, is tough. You can't just cut off the strings just like that. It's, It's a process. It's a process. Even for me, 20 years later, there are times when I wish she was around, especially when kids are going through tough times or when the children have have graduated. Like when my son graduated, yeah, it hit me really hard when he was walking to the stage and I just broke down crying. Yeah, it's making me cry thinking about it. Yeah. (laughs) I I know that was hard because you should be here. Yeah, you know, and um, the other thing also that made me cry was uh, I saw other parents coupled up congratulating their children. The boys, the daddies were giving these big hugs to their boys. And I was just there as a single parent. It hit me harder than I thought. And that's the day when I thought, you know, if you were here, you would be seeing your son walking the stage. Even the day when both of my girls graduated as well, I would just wish, wow, I wish you were here to see what your kids are doing. So it's or more to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Or to be there to walk your daughter down the aisle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like right now, you know, the other thing also that I miss is that like who is going to to talk to my girls about a guy treating you like a pin and who is going to walk them down the aisle? You know? Yeah. It's, my it's, son's getting married this August and. I think you just prepared me for that, I think. So thank you, because you kind of mentally prepared me and had me think. I mean, I can think, you know, he's not going to be there, but 
I really put myself in that situation. Yeah. My daughter's there, my son's there, my son's getting married and his dad isn't there to see it. To see it. It is yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. It's never easy. You know, I guess you just learn to live with it, but it will yeah. never you go away. So you said you saw that crying about your situation as a single parent and a widow was self-destructive behavior and you you wanted revenge and you never got a platform to get an apology from the people that caused you grief. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about that at all. Yeah, the circumstances that surrounded the death of my husband, I felt like my husband was taken away from me. If he had died of natural causes, probably I was going to handle it a little different. I faced a lot of betrayal from people that were supposed to be close to me. At the funeral, they promised that, you know, we are going to be with you. We are not going to abandon you. But less than a week after his funeral, the same people that had stood up among my friends and my family, promising to be there for me, they turned their back on me and they started betraying me. So I had to learn to fight for my children. I had to learn to fight for me. That's when, you know, I started thinking, no matter how hard I'm going to continue crying for the death of my husband, this crying is not going to bring me food on the table. Nobody helped me to send my children to school. They were aware that I had uh, reduced from three incomes to one income, but nobody came forward to help me out. My eldest daughter was supposed to go to boarding school to do grade eight, which is form one back in Africa. Everybody knew. So the only people that came forward was my sister and my dad. My dad had to sell some of his goats at home in the village and brought me some money to buy uh, some uniforms for my eldest daughter and some food and some pocket money for her to, to take. So when I say crying about my pain, was self-destructive and uh, seeking revenge didn't work because I didn't get the platform was for the longest time, you know, I held onto, onto the unforgiveness. Those mm -hmm. people that had betrayed me, I felt I had to cause them pain somehow. But unfortunately, they never gave me a platform because they just vanished in thin air. They never came to visit me. They blocked their lines. I didn't know where they were. And it was hard for me to even go to their homes because I wasn't sure how they were going to treat me. My dad passed away two years later, and I expected them to come and support me through the death of my dad, and they didn't come. They didn't even send their condolences. But These are friends of yours? No, these friends? are in-laws. Your in-laws, I see. Yeah. And uh, so it was tough. For the longest time, I really wanted revenge. I wanted to cause them pain so much because every time when I thought about it and I would ask myself, what did I do wrong to deserve such betrayal? You guys promised that you're going to be there for me. But even at the death of my father, you can't even come to pay your condolences. You know, but did you discover that wanting revenge and whole, that was really causing you pain? Yes, it was. Let it, go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was. It yeah. was, yeah. Because for the longest time, Emily, I suffered from serious high blood pressure. And mm -hmm. at times I had palpitations because of, you know, the anger that I had. Mm -hmm. 
I felt that why, why me? Mm-hmm. What had I done to deserve such such treatment? People that were supposed to be there for me and they were accusing me of a lot of things that I didn't even do. I had to fight for my kids. I had to fight for the property that my husband and myself had, had accumulated. And it was that bad that, you know, they even decided to change his, his death certificate. Divorced <laughs> when I was doing wow. You might Did you get along well when you were married with them? Yes. You know, I thought everything was okay. There were people that were living in their homes whenever I would go and visit them. And I thought we were family. Even at the funeral, they even stood yeah. up and promised my family, my dad, that, you know what, we are going to be with you, Rosemary. Don't worry. We know the kids are young. We are going to help you with everything. Oh. But a week later, that's when I discovered that they had... Uh, change the death certificate because when my husband passed away, I was actually in Harare, which is uh, the capital city. My eldest daughter had gone for interview to go into Form 1, which is grade 8 here. And my husband actually passed away when I was not there. So they are the ones that had access to all the documents from the hospital. So when I came, it was, uh, yeah, he passed away on, on Sunday on a Sunday, and I was in Harare, which is almost about 300-something kilometers from where we lived. And also that same weekend was the weekend for the memorial service of my eldest brother, who had died in a car accident. Oh, and, my God. Uh, yeah. So it was like a double blow. I was away, one, because, you know, I had to go with my daughter. And two, I was also attending the memorial service for my brother who was dead. But... Whether they took that to heart or whether they were accusing me of not caring for my husband enough that I turned my back on him and decided to, to attend to my family issues, I have no idea because I even asked them, why are you treating me like this? Is it because I was away when my husband died? And they didn't answer me. So it was those things that, you know, how can you go to the extent of taking a death certificate and putting divorced when you know that there's a legal wife who has three children. So at some point you had to realize, well, they're not going to change. Yeah. And all this misery I'm going through is killing me because (laughs) my blood pressure is high. It's stressing me out. Mm -hmm. So you finally, something was the breaking point for you to say, I'm done with this. I'm going to figure out how to get my groove back. Yeah. It took me a long time because to be honest, I thought maybe one day things were going to turn around. And even the first time when I, when I went back home after 12 years, I visited them, but um, we had nothing to talk about. We just we went back because you moved to the United States, right? Yeah. And then you, when you went back. Yeah. Yeah. So we had nothing to talk about because when I left my children, they were even accusing me of abandoning my children. And I'm like, when I went to the U.S., I didn't have a visa for the children. Back then, it was tough getting a visa. I only managed to get a visa for me. And I thought, you know, when I get to the U.S., I will work and save enough money to get my children. But the immigration in the U.S., it's tough. I spent two and a half years trying to get my children. And I paid almost 18,000 US dollars, just the lawyer fees, the court fees, 
And I couldn't, yeah. And then, you know, that's when the Canadian government and the U.S. government, they had an agreement to exchange professionals from certain African countries, and Zimbabwe was among one of them. So that's how I managed to come into, into Canada. Wow. So that's where you live now, in Canada? Yeah, yeah. So right now I'm here in Canada, and my kids are here now. They're here now. Where did you, when you left them back in Zimbabwe, were they with your parents or something? Yeah, they were with my mom, my mom mm-hmm. and my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law. So they were looking after them. But I had to move my kids into boarding schools. So they would come to their homes during the holidays. But during I school days, they were away. They were in boarding yeah. schools. Yeah. Um, that must have been so, I can't imagine that, leaving my kids everything that you went through. My husband passed away, moving to another country, trying to get my kids there and all those legal fees and everything. My heart goes out to you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So that's where that's- So many Americans can't even even fathom that. Yeah. We just take it for granted. Yeah. It's tough. And I always hear, you know, when the residents of a certain country, when they always assume- that when immigrants come, they are there for handouts. No, yeah, we are not yeah. here for handouts. You know, Emily, I had to work three jobs in order to save enough money to bring my kids over. And um, the credentials that I had from my country, from Zimbabwe and also from the, from the UK, they were not uh, accredited. So I had to go back to university, imagine. I had to send myself back to university for four years, no, for two years first to do a degree in social work, no, a diploma in social work so that I could get a better job. And then I sent myself back again to university for four more years to do a degree in sociology. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. (laughs) So when did you decide to write your book? I wrote my book in July, that's when I, I started writing my book. But the idea to write my book came after my youngest brother had a heart attack in Zimbabwe and he dropped dead. The only thing I got was a phone call on a Friday night that my brother had passed away. And I'm like, how can he die? I spoke to him on Wednesday. He's not dead. So just that shock again of losing another family member. And my mom had also passed, passed away in 2017. She had cancer. And I looked after her here in, in Canada. And um, yeah, I stayed with her for almost eight years here before she passed away. So she had passed away in 2017. I also had lost my other brothers as well. I lost all my, my, my best friends. And now losing my mom and the only other relative that I had, my brother, he was, he, he was dead. So it was like, you know, I was left with no other sh- uh, shoulder to cry on. And now I am the eldest member of my whole family. So it's all those responsibilities, you know, because my brother was at home. So everything that the other siblings that are still in Zimbabwe, he, he was dealing with them. So when I got a call and when I went, when I flew to Zimbabwe for his funeral, I was just in shock until I came back. And what year was that? 2019 in February. 19. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So when I got back, 
I was away from work for a while. And because I just couldn't get, I couldn't wrap around my mind and my emotions around the death of my brother. I was still in shock and in denial. And it took me a while even to leave my house to go to church and meet other other ladies. So one of my friends here in Canada said, uh, you know what, Rose, you have been so isolated for the longest while. There's going to be a woman retreat in three weeks. So it was in the beginning of May. So she said, um, yeah, you need to go to that retreat. And I started giving all excuses. I cannot go there. You know, I cannot drive. I'm too tired. And, and she said, I am coming by your house. I'm picking you up and I'm going to do the driving. And then I also look for other excuses. I don't have money. <laughs> What a good friend. (laughs) And she said, I am not buying into that. I'm coming to pick you up. I will drive. The only thing that I want you to pay is the retreat fees. So we went for that retreat and that was my turning point. Because when we got there on the first nights, people were praying and talking about their history and why they had come to the retreat. And so when it was my turn, I said, you know what? I've lost so many family members. My brother just died this February. And to be honest, I don't even know why I'm here because I'm just, I'm just numb. I'm just numb. I'm confused. I just don't want to talk to people. So if you see me sitting in a corner, this is me. And um, I will never forget the, the words that the pastor there said. She said, Rose, so you are going to isolate yourself and you are going to be grieving when you are supposed to be here to start your healing journey. And I said, well, I don't know how. And she said, well, the fact that you are here, I promise you, this is the beginning of your healing journey. And from that day, you know, the following day, she put us in groups, those people that had lost husbands, family members to be in one group, and then those that were divorced and so on. And so in the groups, people started sharing Everybody was crying after everybody shared. It was my turn. And I remember I just started weeping for the first time. I broke down, like crying my heart out. And I hadn't done that for the longest time because I was really trying to be strong for everybody, my siblings, my children. And that day, something just hit me. I couldn't talk. I was just sobbing. And that's when I decided, you know what? I'm holding so much pain. I need to put it somewhere. That's the day I decided to to write my book. And this is why now I also run retreats because I got my healing from a retreat. Wow, that's an awesome story. What a good friend to make you go say, no, not not taking no for an answer. And yeah, she was crying. Yeah, and crying your heart out is healing in the long run, right? You've got to cry, you've got to let it all out. You can't keep shoving that pain down. One of my past podcast guests talked about that if you shove your pain and all your emotions down to the basement, they just go down there and they lift weights. And they get stronger. Yeah. So then they erupt like a volcano. Right. Yeah. So your book, I can imagine how helpful it is, Exhume or Heal, a mm-hmm. widow's memoir, and how you got, you know, to getting your groove back. 
So you, it's a story of your healing journey and yeah. trying to help other people with the aim of helping other people too. And I think by sharing your story, just like you said at that retreat, everyone sharing their story probably helped you realize that you weren't alone Yes, and that other people have been through this and you're not the only one. And that, I think that makes you feel better, not less lonely. Yes, it did. And mm-hmm. when other women were also sharing their stories as widows, having to fight for their children in court and having in-laws coming to take their property and stuff like that, you know, that also resonated with me to a point yeah. where I thought, you know what, I think my problem is much lighter than them. I think I can handle my problem better than getting a new problem. So this is where the title of the book originated, Exhume or Heal. Do you want to exhume your pain or you want to heal? Do you want to exhume your past to continue suffering like what you were doing or you heal and go forward? Or do you want to exhume? Yeah. Do you want to exhume the bones of your husband? What is he going to do now? He's dead and he's gone. If you continue crying at his grave, which which is what I was doing. I was crying every night, calling his name, like, where are you? Why did you leave me and the children? But that didn't help my pain. That didn't help me in any way. So writing the book, Exume or Heal, it gave me the strength that I never knew I had. And healing is a choice, you say, in what you submitted to me. But in order to move forward and to be happy and to find love again, you have to heal. Yes, you have to heal. Yeah, because even before I started my proper healing journey, I went into relationships for the wrong reason. I went into relationships because I was lonely and I had this big void in me that I thought, you know, getting another guy into my life was going to fill that void. And I had so much pain and I thought having a man with me is going to give me that comfort that I was looking for. But I was wrong. It actually caused me more pain because these two relationships, they caused me even more pain on top of the pain that I had. <laughs> I thought, yeah. what did I do? What did I do? And that's when I decided to become a relationship coach because I thought, you know what? Let me find out why this keeps happening to me. I'm sure there's nothing wrong with these guys. I am the problem here. Why am I attracting these guys that are causing me pain? Pain after pain. Well, that's pretty good that you recognize, you know, I have I have a, a coach who said, when you point the finger at somebody, you've got three fingers pointing three back fingers. at you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really good that you started to look at yourself because a lot of people just go through life pointing the fingers at everybody else without looking at themselves. And I think yeah. it's important, like you said, you're a coach. It's important to work with a coach because they can see your blind spots. And I'm sure you've realized this. You can see blind spots and other people, but you really can't see them you in yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why is finding love after a dry spell challenging to so many women? Is that why? Because you're looking for yes. yeah. love to fill your hole that you've fill got to your, fill. Your yes, throat. to fill your void. And the other thing also, when you have been in a long-term relationship with somebody and you are suddenly single and going back into the dating scene, It's a challenge in that the dating world is changing every day. During my time, we never used to go online to find men, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I met my husband in a grocery store. So here, wow. when you walk into Walmart or when you walk into Sobeys, it's very hard for a guy just to approach you and say, can I take you out for a coffee? It's, right. it's tough. In Africa, yeah, it's easy because guys have, have the courage to approach women. But here I find that the men, they, yeah, they don't have the courage to approach you because they don't know how you're going to react. So most mm-hmm. of the times, even if the guy is eyeing you, you, the woman, you have to make a move and show him that, you know what, it's okay for you to talk to me. So for me, it was a challenge because growing up, we were told never to approach a guy. You let yeah. the guy approach you. <laughs> right. That's what I learned. Yeah. So you're saying here that finding love can be as easy as ABC if yes. you know the science to it. Oh, hmm. you going to give any tips on the science? <laughs> Yeah, it can be as easy as A, B, C, D, as I said, as long as you have healed from your past. Because Mm -hmm. the thing is, if you still have a bleeding heart, you are not going to be good to anybody, even yourself. Because one, you are a broken soul who is looking for love for the wrong reasons. Two, you are going to attract the wrong people because you have all this negativity that's surrounding you. Three, when you look at men, because they are so lonely and desperate to have somebody, you are going to get the first guy that comes to you and asks you out for a date. And there you are. You'll be working so hard to keep that guy in your life. And so he he is going to give you conditions for you to stay with him instead of the other way around. Yeah, Yeah. you can see that. Yeah. Uh So now what I do is, when I meet with women, I ask them for their story. How come you are single at this age? And then they will say, oh yeah, my husband passed away so many years ago. Okay, how many relationships have you been into? Four, five, four, six. Okay, why do you think all these relationships were not working out? And then most of them, they always start to blame the guys. Oh yeah, the guy was controlling this. And then there and then I will know that, mm Yes, the guy was controlling, but you also took a part in that relationship because instead of you leaving that guy, you decided to hang on to him, right? And the more the more you hang on to this guy, the more clingy and needy you are going to be. And down the line, you are going to be counting all the time, the months, the years that you have wasted with this guy. And it will be more difficult for you to leave because you are like, oh yeah, you know what? I've already invested two years into this relationship. I can't really leave you now. Uh, it will change. What I found out, Emily, is you can never change a man. No. The only no, person, no, no. yeah. You can never change a man. A man will change when he is in love. He will change for a woman that he loves. One, two. The only person that can change a man is a mom. When she is changing his diaper as a baby, that's all. I love that. That's all. But when he's an adult, he knows how to pay his own bills. You can never change him. Never. Oh, never. I know. I know from experience. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can tell you're a good relationship coach. Thank so, you. Um, Yeah. What is dating smart and being dating material? 
Yeah, when I talk about dating smart, is um, we'll give you tools in order for you to recognize the red flags, in order for you to start dating for the good, for the right reasons. We'll also make you make sure that you realize that you are not going to date from a desperate mode. Because when you are desperate to fill in that void because you are lonely, then you are going to exude this energy that you are needy and clingy, and you will do anything to keep that guy, even sleeping with him on the second date, which you are not even supposed to do because this guy is supposed to earn your respect. But a lot of women, they make that mistake because they think, okay, if I sleep with him on the second or third date, then... I'm going to keep him. But the only thing that's going to happen is you are going to be emotionally involved with this guy. But this guy is already somewhere else because you are probably not what he expected. He doesn't know you. You don't know him. And already you have that emotional connection. And for you now to leave this guy is tough for you because you have that emotional connection already. And for men, it's easy for them because you know they can just shut the door and leave. But for women, because we are just natureers by nature, it's tough for us, you know. And yeah. then this is when, when this guy breaks up with you, then you become obsessive because, yeah, I slept with him. How could he do this to me? But guess what? You are the one that agreed to sleep with the guy. And the thing that I always tell my ladies is, I'll tell them that, you know what? You are the queen in this equation. You hold the cards. If you tell him no, he's going to respect you. If he loves you enough, he will respect you. But if you say yes on his conditions, it means that that relationship is going to be based on his conditions, his terms, not yours. <laughs> Ooh, so much wisdom there. <laughs> yeah. That's really so, good wisdom. Yeah. So that's dating smart. So once you go in there knowing who you are, knowing yourself where that, you know what? I'm a single, powerful, beautiful, sexy woman. I'm not going to let any man mess around with this. Then yes, men will respect you. You go in knowing what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Not waiting for him to show you. No, you go in and you tell him what you are looking for. Right. Yeah. Not waiting to see what he wants and then being that. Yeah, being that. It's not you. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so how long have you been a relationship coach? For almost four years now. Wow, that's awesome. I can tell you help a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So your book, you also have a workbook that goes along with your book. Yes. In, in your book... Because it's about how you get your groove back. Do you talk about dating in your book? Yes, I do. Yeah, I also talk about dating and how to heal from your pain and then transition into into dating. Okay. Yeah, so this is where are you dating, dating material comes in. I see. It's all covered in that workbook. Yeah, it's all covered in that. Yeah, I think I'm going to get that book, actually. (laughs) I wish I had already gotten it. I interview so many people, and it's really hard to keep up with reading everyone's book, interviewing and everything. I do the best I can, but I'm going to have to look at this one, and uh, I think I can learn some things from it. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, there's lots uh, to learn. There's lots to learn. Yeah. yeah. And I'll put a link to it. It's in uh, Amazon, on Amazon, right? Yes. And then you're, and you have another book, Resetting Your Life. Oh, that's the handbook, right? That goes with uh, the Resetting Your Life handbook. Oh, yeah. that's another one. Yeah. So this Triumphant is the, Yeah. So this is Resetting Your Life. So this one helps you with your mindset. Awesome. Yeah. And to heal. So this one is just filled with the healing therapies. It tells you that, you know what, healing is your choice. It's up to you. You know, I can sit here and preach to you that you need to heal, but it's up to you to make that decision to heal. Yeah, definitely. Mm. What does it take for someone to make a decision to heal? Is um, it different for everybody or? Yeah, it's different for everybody. Because like for me, I discovered that holding on to the pain was not getting me anywhere. And then I had that wake-up call when I went to, to the retreat because the pastor there said, okay, how long have you been holding on to this pain? And I told you, I think it was almost 19 years, 17, 18 years holding on to that pain because I wanted revenge so bad, like so bad. But I never got the platform. I never got the platform. And the people, they never apologized. No matter how many people I told that they need to apologize, they never bashed in. So she asked have you forgiven me. Them? Have you forgiven them? Yeah. Yeah. I have forgiven them. So she took me on, on a forgiveness journey. And she said, Rose, this unforgiveness is killing you, not them. Look at yeah. you. Look at you now. And she, she started asking me about my appetite, my sleeping pattern, my social skills. And I then discovered that I had become very socially awkward. I didn't know how to interact with the other people because I, yeah, it was just too much for me because every time I would start talking about it, I was like a broken record, always talking about what yeah. they did to me. But it wasn't doing me any good. I wasn't moving forward emotionally. I was still stuck in that. And yeah, that's when, you know, she, she told me that it's up to you. It's up to you to heal and it's up to you to forgive because forgiveness is not for them. It's for you. Once right. you forgive those people that have hurt you, you feel like these thousand tons of bricks have been lifted off your shoulders. I started to breathe after that retreat. I didn't realize how much I was stifling my, my growth, my well-being and everything. But after that retreat, my goodness, I felt, why didn't I forgive these people years ago? What was I doing? <laughs> but you know what? What you went through, that journey that you went through, is what prepared you to be the coach, the good coach yeah. that you are now. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's yeah. a reason. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I guess there's always... Uh, a reason for everything because yeah. I guess if I hadn't gone through what I went through, I wouldn't be where I am today because right, right now, you know, I'm able to help women that thought they would never be able to forgive, but I would work with them to a point where I will leave them no option, but to forgive. So how do people find you? It looks like you've got, you've got it, your website, roseslifecoaching.com. And I'll put that yes. in the show notes. And then you've got a Facebook and mm -hmm. it looks like you've also got Instagram TV. Yes, I do. I do have Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 
So I'll put all of that in the show notes. And then I've got your your email, roseslifecoaching at gmail.com because you can, I'm sure, coach people through the internet too, right? They don't have yes. to yeah. come and see you. Yeah. Yeah, we can. So that's that. interesting too. You said that you were kind of secluded and socially awkward. You went, you know, after your brother died in 2019 and then you went to that retreat in 20, May of 2019 and then COVID hit. <laughs> yes. And then COVID did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you can stay secluded even longer. <laughs> even longer, you know, even longer. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing also that uh, I also wanted to add is um, I'm a certified Reiki master. So I read okay. energy. I read energy. Okay. So most That's of the awesome. times when I'm talking to my to my clients, I can tell, you know, the things that they don't want to share with me. I can feel them. And I okay. also have a gift of releasing trapped emotions. <laughs> so what energy are you feeling for me right now? <laughs> for you, it's it's a lot of regrets. There's things uh-huh. that you think, ah, oh, you know what? I should, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Or I wish mm-hmm. I had done this earlier. Yeah, that's true. Because like when you were talking about the how guys don't change, really, you know, yeah. because my kid's dad was verbally abusive and the one that passed away, he was nice the whole time he was sick. But when I was with him, he was verbally abusive and I just I never left. I just, you know, yeah. I stayed too long mm-hmm. and um, thinking that things would change. Would change but they didn't. Yeah. yeah, they didn't. So it's OK. It is what it is. Helps me be a better coach now, too. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what? I've also learned that the experiences that we go through will shape the people who we become after that. So when you have gone through, um, you know, some turbulence in your life, it's up to you how you are going to use that. Are you going to use that as a lesson or you are going to, to use that to be in the victim pity party mode for the rest of life? Right. Yeah. So it goes two ways. And so this is why I came up with that healing is your choice. It's up to you. It's up to you. (laughs) Well, as we wrap this up, any last bit of advice that you want to leave with the Onward podcast listeners? Yeah. What I want to tell uh, the podcast listeners is um, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter what other people have told you. You can always change your life. It's never too late to start again. I'm almost 60 right now, and I have found love again. I have gone back into the dating scene after a long, long, long dry spell. (laughs) So it's never, yeah, it's never too late to start anything new. And it's never too late to open new doors for your life. And a lot of women, they always tell themselves, oh, yeah, the shelf life for dating, you know, it is expired as old as I am. No, everybody needs some TLC. You know, when your kids are grown, then what are you going to do? You are going to be an empty nester. And then what? Yeah, I'm an empty nester. So I recently went, met somebody and went on a date. Yeah. But I could tell that I wasn't ready. I still had some inner work because I could tell that I would have reverted back to being a chameleon and a pleaser. Yeah. If people I caught that. And so I was like, 
nope, not ready to date yet. But maybe when I'm 60, like you, I'm turning 58 this year. So maybe two oh, more wow. years. <laughs> what? 58? You don't even look it. No, you don't look 60. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Rosemary, for being on the Onward podcast. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much, Emily, for having me. It was a pleasure. I learned from every single one of my Onward podcast guests. Thank you, Rosemary, for everything you taught me during this interview. I really, really enjoyed meeting you. And thank you to all of the Onwarders listening today. I can't believe it's been one year since I started the Onward Movement. The Onward Movement is all about embracing authenticity and releasing the fear of judgment so that you can create the life of your dreams with confidence, a life that you love. For me, and probably for you, creating a life that I love means being physically fit. And also lately, I've been learning about mental fitness. I recently participated in a group coaching program with Shirzad Shamin. Shirzad is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Positive Intelligence. And when I participated in his program, I was building up my mental strength, and I still am, through regular short exercises. And I kept track of my progress in an app. And I worked with a small group of people for accountability, where we share what we think and we feel and our experiences in practicing mental fitness and how it's helping us be more in flow with much less negativity throughout the day. I'm so excited that now I get to offer this coaching program to my clients. If you go to my website, emilyharmon.com, and look for the page on mental fitness, you'll see how you can sign up. It's a six-week program, and it's life-changing. You'll learn how to easily incorporate mental fitness into your daily life. Do you feel this way sometimes, like in your work or your personal life? Have you ever felt overworked or underappreciated or even guilty or lazy when you tried to relax? Are you constantly thinking about mistakes you made or do you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about what could go wrong tomorrow or how you could have handled a particular situation better? I know I have felt this way and that's my inner critic, my judge, and some of my other saboteurs that I learned about in this mental fitness coaching. How would it feel if you were happier, if you were more in control of your life? And if you could quiet the negative thoughts bouncing around in your head, this constant self-judgment and negativity really does affect all of us and those around us. And it sometimes feels like we can't control how we feel or what we think. We surely can't control what others think or how they feel about us. We will always be judged by others. But I just don't want to accept that negativity and believe the chatter in my head. By working on strengthening my mental fitness muscles, I've been able to recognize that negativity fairly quickly and then shift to positive thinking. And I'd love to help you do the same. Have a great week, Onwarders. Thank you for listening to the Onward Podcast. I really appreciate your support.